Today's episode of the BS Podcast, The Rigger Podcast Network, brought to you by ZipRecruiter. During this time of change, we might know that ZipRecruiter's focus hasn't changed. Joe House's focus hasn't changed either. You still enjoy eating and drinking, right? Yeah, and I'm counting on ZipRecruiter helping restaurants restaff, get everybody assembled. Let's get those restaurants. Once we're on the other side of this and there's we can we've established we can all safely get together again, let's get the restaurants going. Well, they're they're dedicated right now to helping you, the people out there, get hired from caretaking and delivering food and goods, building medical facilities, supplying protective equipment, so much more. ZipRecruiter's app will send you up-to-date job openings so you can be one of the first to apply. And if you're actively hiring, ZipRecruiter will invite candidates to apply to your most urgent roles, making it faster and easier to reach the people you need by connecting people who need jobs and companies that need people. ZipRecruiter, working with all of us so we can keep moving forward. Let's work together, ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com, where we are still putting out awesome sports and pop culture pieces, as well as The Ringer Podcast Network, where we have a new rewatchables coming. Uh, we did Gladiator, me, Shay, Jason, and Chris, an OG classic. Wow. And then we have Groundhog Day coming uh, Wednesday night. How did Sean- you guys come up with that? Because that is making the rounds. Not only is it making the rounds, I watched it with my wife and child last week. Yeah. It's the ultimate pandemic movie, and we, we cover that with me, Sean Fennessy, and a very special guest that people will be surprised about. Uh, Joe House brought back House of Carbs. It's, it's, the, it's the House of Carbs pantry party. What are you calling well, it? Well, we did. We, we visited with a lot of our beloved Ringer uh, friends and family. We went into their kitchens. We went into a couple of liquor cabinets. And then this week, we got together with Brett Martin, our old pal from GQ Magazine, the food critic there. He just published his uh, Best New Restaurants in America 2020, and we talked about how weird it is to be talking yeah. about restaurants in this moment and whether or not, you know, uh, how, how everything's going to change when we're done with this thing. So it was a good conversation with Brett. Yeah. Well, the good thing is get takeout. That helps support the restaurants if you can do it. Yeah. Coming up, House and I are going to do the all-time deep dive of deep dives of the 96 Bulls, including a really good uh, Magic Bulls games from 96 that we watched. But first, fans of the Bulls are friends from Pearl Jam. All right, so... The MJ doc is in full swing and there's no sports. And what we're going to do this week and next is really deep dive MJ even more than we've done already. We've done the rewatch of Bulls series. We've done four volumes, me and Rosillo on mine. Uh, on Thursday, you and I are going over to Rosillo's pod and we're going to do game two, 1997, Wizards Bulls. Oof. Except Oof. you weren't the Wizards. You were the Boule, the oh, Bullets. Man. The last great moment for this for this team right here, the Bulls. Oh man, and it's a really fun series, and we're gonna dive into it because that '97 team that the Bulls had was arguably, in some ways, at least deeper than the '96 team. They they won 69 games and did just as well in the playoffs. Um, so anyway, we're blowing this all out, leading to uh, the final episode. What we wanted to do here was talk about the '96 Bulls because I think what uh, older NBA aficionados like House and myself are realizing slowly over the course of these three weeks is 
you know, especially if you're under 30 and you weren't there, you just tend to embrace certain myths or half-truths from this era, one of which is the 96 Bulls are the best team of all time. In my basketball book, I wrote that this was wrong and I laid out all the reasons why and I had the 86 Celtics as the best team. Not because it was a Boston thing. Um, I laid out the case. I think if I wrote the book now, I would probably say the 2017 Warriors were the best team ever. There are specific cases against the 96 Bulls and I want to get into all of them. I think what ha- one of the things that has been undersold with the whole MJ run has been how good the other teams were. And I wanted to go through them because I I really think he was on four great teams. And the first one was the 91 team, which uh, didn't really come together until about March. You know, they won 61 games. The league's a lot deeper back then. During the regular season, they were 9-12 and against 50-win teams. Um, They went 56-15 and over the last 71. Best winning streak was 11. But in the playoffs was when they took off. And they went 15-2. and They had a plus 11.7 point differential. Both of the games they lost were winnable games. They, they lost an OT game to Philly where Jordan had, I think they either the game tying or the game winning shot and just missed it. Oh, okay. And then they had that Laker game, game one of the finals, right. when Perkins makes the three. Jordan comes down, has an open look at a jumper and misses it. That was it. Those are their two losses. They had nine double-digit wins. Their two losses were by four points total. Uh, and then they defended the title the following year. And I, I think, you know, you talk about the fo 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 Philly postseason 83 where they only lost one game. This, on paper, is as good as that postseason. I think the difference, House, this team didn't really know it was great yet. And we weren't even really sure. And I remember betting on the Lakers in game three in L.A. thinking... Oh yeah, MJ, you can't win a title when one guy's shooting all the time. And I there wasn't that kind of aura of excellence yet. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah, because they had just finally gotten over the the Pistons hump. That like that that happened, you know, and they 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 swept their asses. But they that was the first vanquished foe. And then beyond that, we didn't know what was what they were capable of, what was possible. Uh, for the Bulls beyond that. Could we trust Scotty in it in a mammoth game? He got right. through the Pistons in the in the sweep, and it was like, oh, good. Scotty passed that checkpoint. And they did cover this in the documentary. Rodman shoves him into the basket support. And it's one of those, okay, he responded really well. He took that one. Horace Grant, same thing. The Pistons are beating the shit out of him in 89 and 90. In 91, they do a good job in the doc of pointing out he learned how to turn the other cheek just get mad, get revenge, all that stuff. I, uh, I think, I think this is probably the best playoff run they have. Ironically, out of the six, this is the most dominant they were in any of the six postseasons. Fifteen and two, they barely lost the two games, and the league is really deep back then. You look at uh, at where we were in '91 versus '96, right? I'm going to read you the three All NBA teams in 1991. Go ahead. The year they win their first title. First team, Charles Barkley, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Carl Malone, David Robinson. Second team, Clyde Drexler, Patrick Ewing, Kevin Johnson, Chris Mullen, Dominique Wilkins. Third team, Joe Dumars, Bernard King, Hakeem Olajuwon, John Stockton, James Worthy. 
Oh my God. And we're leaving off a shitload of good guys because, you know, you also have Gary Payton had just gotten in the league by then. Um, you have Sean Kemp's kind of in there trying to figure out what he is. You have Mark Price and Brad Doherty. You have Reggie Lewis. You have a really good Celtics team that uh, was started out season 29-5. The league is just deep and awesome. By the time we get to 96, our first team is Penny Hardaway, who I was really unimpressed with in a game we're about to watch for yeah. somebody who's a first-team NBA. Jordan, Carl Malone, Scottie Pippen, David Robinson. Second team is Grant Hill, early in his career. Sean Kemp, Hakeem. Gary Payton, John Stockton, not bad. Third team, Barkley. This is 96 Barkley, past his prime. I think even he would admit it. Jawan Howard. Oh, all right. Good job, Jawan. Reggie Miller, I think won only two times he made an All-NBA team. Shaq, who got really boned because he's behind Robinson, Olajuwon, and Mitch Richmond. The league's just deeper in 91, and, and the cases for this are they have two expansion teams, or four, I'm sorry, four expansion teams in 89 and 90, two Florida teams, Minnesota, Charlotte, and then heading into the 95, 96 season, they had two more expansion teams. Right. So that, that's really the dilution of, of, of talent came with, with those expansion teams. And that's why nobody puts an asterisk next to the 72 wins, but the Bulls didn't lose a game in January. Like if you look at the thing, it just says January undefeated. Right. And and we're looking for greatest games from the regular because we we're trying to figure out what game to do for this. And we're going through and we're like, all right, what's an awesome game that they were in that year? It was hard to find an awesome game. Like even the finals, there's no great 96 finals game. The Orlando series, we found the one great game to do. The Knicks series, game three was good. It went into OT. Jordan makes a a game tying shot to send it into OT. It's at MSG. But for the most part, like even during the season, they have one good nationally televised game against Indiana. They have a really fun game at the Lakers, the game after Magic comes back. And it's on a Sunday and it's MJ versus Magic. Oh my God, how this is happening again. But they end up killing them. Yeah. The Lakers lose by 20. So, you know, it's just the league was deeper and better in uh, 91, 92. This isn't like an old guy. Oh, this is back. It's just, it's a fact. There were six less teams. The talent was much more condensed. And also you had some really great drafts. You had all the drafts from 79 to 82 that had all those Hall of Famers. Then you had the 84 and 85 drafts, which was another slew of Hall of Famers. And then the late 80s, you had, you know, the David Robinson and Sean Kemp and Gary Payton, uh, those guys coming in. And the league was just really good. So this is where it gets weird because I think the merger of the 91 Bulls playoffs and the 92 regular season team is your best Bulls team ever. And unfortunately, okay. we can't do that because you'd bend the rules. The 92 team goes 67 and 15. Pretty good. And has a real fuck you edge. And this was uh, something when I interviewed Steve Kerr about in my book about what's better when you're chasing something to get it back or when you're defending something and you have the fuck you edge, what's more dangerous. He thought the 96 team, the edge they had was more dangerous because they had been the champs. Now they're trying to get it back. Okay. But he also thought that fuck you were defending the title edge was also really frightening and scary and also harder to harness because it becomes a little on off switchy. 
the thing about the 96 team that just changed everything. Um, maybe not change is the wrong word. Uh, maybe it's not. It was a effing like monumental cultural force. Right. Michael Jordan and the Bulls ruled the world. And Dennis Rodman was no small part of that. The addition yeah. of Rodman and having Rodman sublimate his, you know, persona to be a very, very effective and crucial part to that, to that team. Like it was, it wasn't just the circuses in town. It was like, you know, better than the circus when the bulls yeah. came to town. Right. I agree with that. Hey, and I think you could really feel that with the 97 team too, because that was a two year run of them just becoming so famous and so incredible and so awesome. And it was like a traveling tour. The ni 97 team wins 69 games. They went yeah. three less than the 96 team in the playoffs. I think they went 15 and four, the 96, the, the bulls in 96, I think went 15 and three. These teams are basically even. If anything, you could say they had Bison Dele in 97, which was a really fun wrinkle for them. Rodman's not as good in 97. But what really made 97 amazing was what you just said. They were like the Beatles coming to America. They were like the Rolling Stones in 1977. They were Springsteen and Born in the USA. It, they were the, you know, Michael Jackson thriller. They transcended everything. And the only time we've ever came close to that, I think, I think, I think LeBron and the Heat during the 27 game winning streak it tasted it. I don't think it was as close, but I, I think it started to veer toward becoming a cultural phenomenon. I never quite got there. But then really we saw it with the Warriors, with Curry win the 25 game winning streak specifically. Right. That's right. And and you know, Miami might have had that allure, but th those dumbasses went and got on a stage when they were all together. They ruined it immediately. They didn't let yeah. the natural, organic, like curiosity and interest. They didn't build the interest in that. They immediately just went in and seized the mantle of being, you know, this accomplished thing before they'd played an effing game together. So it put a, a sour taste in, in everybody's mouth. And um, then they lost. And then they lost, which was great. <laughs> I mean, they were they, they the funny thing is they became um the op they were villains as opposed to to heroes the way that the bulls were heroes and I, I think that's one of the reasons the 96 bulls team has been received so favorably in the moment and over the years because they just had a unanimous approval rating everybody was so excited that a Jordan came back and B that they were awesome to watch there was no backlash everybody was just all in the entire year I think you look at specifically the Miami team in 2013 that won the 27th straight and what a great achievement that was. But as you said, they still had that residue of, ah, you fucking assholes guys go on the stage. You tell us you're going to win eight straight. Then JJ Barea is guarding LeBron low post. There was still like an animosity toward that team. And the same thing with the 2017 warriors, which was, you know, you could really make the case as the best team ever, according to all calculations. But that whole year, everybody was like, no, fuck off. You you cheated with this Durant thing. You cheated. It wasn't well, I, fair. I mean, it's Durant catches most of that criticism. I do want to quibble with one thing. I listened to you and, and Rosillo um, do the, the comparison of the 
was it the 96 Bulls against the 2017 Warriors? Yeah. The one aspect of, of your discussion that I took issue with was you were taking the 96 Bulls and pushing them up into the 2017 era, and I didn't think that was fair. I want to drag the 2017 Warriors back to 1996 and see mm. how that team plays. The league was definitely more physical. There's no arguing it. The hand check rules, the chips as you as you go by and so forth, and what kind of impact that level of physicality might have on guys like Curry and Durant. You know, I'm. I, it's just I don't think it, it's as it's so easy to just, you know, I, I agree with the idea that if you grab that 96 Bulls team and push them into the um, 2017, it's, it's going to be t- tough because, you know, they're, right. they're, they're going to have to learn a new style of play, basically. But, well, I like it going backwards. That's fair. We, we saw in that Orlando game we're going to talk about later when they try to shut down Shaq in the fourth quarter and Shaq starting out at the at the high post and then he's moving down they set him a pick he moves down the low block to try to get position and the bulls are chipping him with one guy hard which a foul every time now knocking him so that as he's about to plant position he's off balance and then rodman's coming in right behind him and basically ramming his groin into Shaq's ass and planning and all of it was about chipping Shaq almost like he was Gronk on the offensive line, like how you would chip a tight end because you wouldn't want to get a, get him to going down the field. You wouldn't be able to do that in 2020, be a foul. Right. No, that, that, that's right. And one of the things, uh, I'm glad you mentioned the Rodman part of it, especially. Gosh darn it, was he physical. I know. Was, it, what a specimen. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that. So 92, 67 and 15, but the Jordan rules comes out that year. And it does mess them up a little bit. Like, there's no question. Like, you read all the books from that era, and it it definitely changed Jordan. Um, all we knew from Jordan was the commercials and very good interviews and things like that. And it's like, oh, you're kind of an asshole? I had no idea. And he retreated a little bit. And I, I think their performance is really spotty because um, they lose seven playoff games in 92 which even though the league was really loaded that year, like they have a series against the Cavs that goes six and game six is in Cleveland. Doherty's got like an injured hand. Mark Price is playing on a bad ankle or something. And the Cavs still almost beat him. They tie the game with 35 seconds left. Jordan comes down, go watch this on YouTube. Add this to the Jordan list. Makes a, just a crazy three point play door. He drives into Doherty, Doherty, like football body blocks him. It's like a flagrant and Jordan finishes the layup makes the free throw and it's done. Um, but that was a really hard series. And then they go in the next series. Um, they play the Knicks. That series ends up going seven. Yeah. And they, you know, game seven was decisive. They killed them. But then you go into the Portland series. And I think the Portland series has been misremembered a little bit because they kill them in game one. Everyone thinks it was a walk. It really wasn't like they, it ends up going six. Their bench ends up bringing them back in game six. They end up winning the title, but the dominance wasn't quite there. So then you go to the, uh, the 97 team would be the third team I mentioned. Um, 69 and 13, 39 and two at home, 10 at one at home in the playoffs. So they were 49 and three at home. Uh, their playoff only five and a half point differential in the playoffs, which really hurts them. 
And and that's why the the 96 team, the statistical resume, I think uh is just better. But here's what I wrote about them um back then. They'd played 200 games, not counting exhibition in 20 months, with an oversized bullseye on their backs, with every contender gunning for them, with a gargantuan media horde greeting them in every city. With sold out arenas of fans around the country saying, Happy, I'm going to see the Bulls tonight. I mean, do you remember this in 96, 97? When they were in town, we were going. Neither of I, us had any money. We were going. I, I, I used all the money that I had to buy into season ticket packages for the, for the Bullets. In fact, I bought the, those, those, uh, it was right after college. I had season tickets where I was driving out to Landover, Maryland. And it right. was just a, a happy coincidence that the Bulls got incredible. But I always, I mean, I went to all those games. I had, yeah, they were must, the must, the most important things in my life. I was shamelessly using my dad's season tickets. So I wasn't <laughs> paying, but I was paying for beer and food. And I barely had money for that. Um, but then I wrote, sold out arenas of fans around the country saying, happy, I'm going to see the Bulls tonight. Would you remember how colossal Jordan and the team to a lesser extent was compared to the other sports at the time, which is a crucial point. Hockey's hockey's dying at that point. Hockey's moving into a different form. That's post Devil's Trap. Um, oh right, just weird shit starting to go on with hockey. It's that it's not. I don't feel like as meaningful as it was five years before. Baseball's recovering from a damaging strike. College hoops. That's right when the underclassmen start leaving after one year, two years. That project started. That that product starting to change. Tennis has no stars at all. None. Hmm. This is between, it's kind of Agassiz Sampras, but nobody really cares yet. Uh, you have golf. Guess who hadn't shown up yet? Tiger Woods. We're just yeah. watching him amateurs. Football was the only real thing going. They, they have Elway and the Dallas guys and Favre and Sanders. That's yeah. the only other sport. Football. Football um, was good. But I wrote uh, the 97 Bulls team meant more to the landscape than anyone remembers. Uh, a two season, 20 month concert stretch that spanned. You know, all these cities, they're wearing out all these countries. And I think they did wear down in the 97 playoffs. They could have been had. I totally agree with you. And I'm, I love that concert analogy. They're like the most popular band in, in history during that 20 month. So, I mean, they're, they are equivalent to the Beatles. I mean, that, that's we, the Beatles preceded us. Um, the, the factoid that I was reminded of in looking at this that blew my mind was the Bulls had a chance to go 40 and 1 at home in 97 and they lost to the Pacers in their last home game and Scottie Pippen took a 3 to win that game and it didn't go down and if it had they would have been the only team in history to go to have back-to-back 70 win uh seasons. Right. And the the 86 Celtics went 50 and 1 at home. They only lost to uh Portland in the regular season, this, that 96 bulls team. Now, if you include the, if I'm including playoffs too with the Celtics, cause they didn't lose, you know, in the playoffs, either 15 one, you look at the 96 bulls, 49 and two at home. So they only missed out on that 15, one by one 87 and 13 for the season. 12.3 point differential. Um, so that's like point- a- in the history of of competitive basketball, that's one of the top three, top four, top five. It's pretty ridiculous. Twelve and four versus forty nine win teams. They had two different winning streaks of eighteen and thirteen. 
which back then was no joke because of the travel was, you know, you had the charters by then, but you still were doing the four games, five nights, things like that. Playoffs, they were 15 and three, 10 and 0 at home, 10 double digit wins. Um, they, they were, uh, fourth in points and first in points allowed and like all the statistical thing is really amazing, but here's, here's the issue. Um, the NBA expands to Vancouver and Minnesota that year. You have six teams that won 26 games or less out of the 29. So we've six out of 29, uh, in 1986, there was only two teams that won 26 or less. The the thing I always look at if I'm making the case, because look, we're just trying to be objective. If you've ever heard us on this pod, obviously I'm a huge Boston Homer. I also had magic ahead of Larry Bird in my book. Like I'm I'm trying to use the perspective of all the games we watch. The best thing you can say about what was wrong with the mid-90s to bang on this expansion point was Utah. From 91 to 93, they averaged 52 wins. From 96 to 98, they averaged 61 wins. Stockton and Malone are worse in 96 to 98. The supporting cast is either even or worse. I, you know, it's debatable, but it's at least even, it's definitely not better from 96, 98, but those guys weren't as good. How do they jump by nine wins? It makes no sense. The only thing you can point to is expansion and dilution, right? That's right. And, and, you know, they feasted on, uh, the arrival of Vancouver and, and, uh, and the four teams that, 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 you know, came in, um, in that era. Also the four right. other teams. See, look at the standings. Orlando wins 60 games. Chicago wins 72. Indiana, which wasn't really totally Indiana yet. They're, they're kind of between that Reggie Miller MSG area, but the, they're not quite at that Jalen Rose Davis brother era yet. Smith's is not really him yet. Cleveland wins 47 games, which with Mike Fratello. Remember when Mike Fratello was just bastardizing basketball? I was, they, you know, Doherty and Price was kind of enough. No, but that I don't think they had Doherty and Price at that point. At that point, Price was on your team, right? 96? Oh, <laughs> oh I forgot. That, no, here, that, right to my heart. Here's their team that won 47 games. Chris Mills, Bobby Phils, Terrell Brandon, Danny Ferry, Michael Cage, and a semi-washed-up Dan Marley. Oh, and a little God. Tyrone Hill. It was a 47 game team somehow. They were they averaged uh 91 points a game that year. That was when basketball was really starting to get fucked up. Yuck. Then you go in the West, you had the Houston team back-to-back champs. They're finally falling off. Hakeem's not at his apex anymore. Utah's holding steady. They win 55 games in 96, uh, and then jump even more the next two years. San Antonio's at 59. And that's basically with Robinson and Sean Elliott and Will Purdue and not a lot. Yep. And then you have, here's another damning thing. Seattle wins 64. Seattle goes 64 and 18 that year. 64 and 18. They're, they, were, they were good. With an almost nine point point differential. And then the other crazy thing, do you know the Lakers went 53 and 29 that year? I do not remember that at all. They So they have... Nick Van Exel, Cedric Sabalos, Eldon Campbell, Divac, Eddie Jones, and then Magic shows up with 30 games left in the year and they end up losing the playoffs. The point is, 72 wins in this season is not as impressive as 
I don't know, the Warriors winning going 67 and 15 in 2017, something like that. Or even like the, the 2016 Warriors going 73 and nine. Yeah. The 73 and nine, I think it will over, over time be regarded as even an even greater accomplishment than we already, we already recognize it for, for it being an incredible accomplishment. The one thing, if you wanted to argue eras is in, in 2016, the idea of tanking to get to, to top picks, like, you know, bad teams absolutely have as a strategy, losing professional basketball games in the regular season. Yeah. By, by this point, yeah. Well, I think you wouldn't say that was the case in the mid '90s, though. I, it just wasn't as 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 um, pronounced. Teams do a little more scatter shot. So there's a Sports Illustrated team article that comes out about the Bulls in January, as they're making this run, and it's basically like, can these guys win seventy? And the the article is weirdly both flattering, but not that flattering about them. You have Brendan Malone, who is the Toronto coach. He says, I can tell you right now that they're not as good as the Boston Celtics teams of the 80s or the Lakers of the 80s, comma, and they're not as good as the Chicago team that won three in a row. Just comes out and says that in the piece. He's, he's a head coach. Brandon Jack, Malone. Jack Ramsey, who is the TV guy at that point, goes, the Bulls are an excellent team in what appears to be an increasingly mediocre league. And then Larry Bird, a following year, he says the league is a lot more watered down than when I played. So if you have a star like Michael Jordan today, you rule the league. Once he leaves, things will level out. Wasn't wrong. Yeah. I, I think even Jordan, if you read some of the books and they covered in the documentary, one of the reasons he came back from baseball was he was thinking I can steal a title. The league's worse. It won't be as hard to win three. I can do this now. He's watching these games going, holy shit, I can just come back. I literally might be able to steal the title. And he, and he could have. Well, that was the 95 motivation, right? That's, yeah. That's why he thought he could sneak in and, and just knock it out. Well, the league's worse than 96. So you have that. We talked about the NBA stuff. Here's another case against them and why I think there's some hybrid of 91 and 92 has to be considered his best team. He's 33 this season. Yeah. He had over 800 games in his odometer. Same thing. Pippen was turned 30 before this season and was over 800 games career. Rodman turned 35 this season. Ron Harper was 32. Kukoc was in his prime, but he's a six man. Um, and I think if you just look at, and I, I cover this in the book. If you're going to go like, all right, this is the greatest team ever. What are their Sistine Chapel games? You know, like the 86 Celtics, the famous game they had was game five against Atlanta. They scored 25 straight points in the third quarter in the closeout game. And, J and the Hawks caught four timeouts and they're just demolishing them. They're just killing them. The 92 Bulls team had game seven against the Knicks. They went 110 to 81. MJ has 42 and Scotty has a 17, 11, 11. They shoot 58%. This is in a closeout game seven. And then the game one Portland game, 122 to 89, 63 points, 21 assists for MJ and Pippen. And MJ has the iconic 35 points and a half to six threes. And, and the shrug, the John Michael Wozniak shrug. This 96 team 
I don't think could play four quarters like that. The game we're going to cover in a little bit, they do it for two in this Orlando game, and it's incredible. Right. It's incredible. Yes. But Jordan, I, I hesitate to say it, and I'm going to say it very carefully, he's not totally as good in this 96, 97, 98. It's harder for him to score. And That's if true. anything, he's wilier. He's doing. He's posting up a lot more. He's doing that turnaround fadeaway. The reason he's doing that stuff is he can't get to the rim like he used to. He can do it in little spurts. Right. That's not a criticism. It's different. He's 33. He's a different basketball player. So if you had to say, oh, I, I had a thing. There's a comparison to Wilt and Jerry West in 72, which I think is really fair. Okay. With Jordan and Pippen... Pippen's at the tail end of his prime. He's still great. Jordan's at some new prime that he's created that doesn't totally resemble his early 90s prime, but is still amazing. And the same thing with Wilton West with the 72 Lakers. When they win the 33 straight, what you know, one of the ways to debunk that one, that was another thing with the expansion. You had expansion, then you had the ABA. They're losing young talent. And if you could have Wilt and Jerry West and Gail Goodrich on the same team, it was an enormous advantage. The league right. just wasn't deep enough. So even though it wasn't the best versions of them, that was the best team they ever played on. And I think that's a fair way to think about this 96 Bulls team. But if I was going to say, when did those guys peak? I would say 91 to 93 for Jordan. 92 to 94 for Pippen. Sure. Right. Is that fair? Yeah. If you're like, well, what are their apex peak as basketball players? I think those are the stretches. It wasn't earlier than that for Pippen because Pippen needed... Michael, the psychologist, really, yeah, to help him get over, you know, just to build the the mental fortitude, the strength, the mental strength to become the player that that he became. And Michael was an all time unstoppable peak powers, ninety one to ninety three. It's tough to argue that. Yeah, especially like some of these rewatchables games we've done, where he's just dropping fifty five, like he's putting a cough drop in his mouth or something. It's just like he has, I was looking through cause I was trying to see if we could do an unbelievable regular season game for him. There's a Pistons game. You can find it on YouTube in 96 where it is old school, early nineties, MJ. He, he goes like 21 for 28. He's making everything. He scores 53. He's really pouring it on Grand Hill and Allen Houston. He had a little thing with Allen Houston cause of the dream team that year. He always liked to go with Allen Houston and then uh, Grant Hill was considered to be, oh, when MJ retires, Grant Hill will be the guy. So he always gave him a little extra. But it was just harder for him to summon that, I think, by the time we got here. Uh, the other thing with the playoffs in 96, they they really didn't play that well. Um, they Pippen shot 39% for the playoffs and 64% free throws, and his free throw shooting was a problem. Kukoc had a bad back during the game we're about to do. He's one for 28 from three at one point. He ends up 13 for 68 from three for the playoffs. Kerr was only 32% for three. And then Jordan had his worst playoff moments of the 90s for him. He's 31, five and four, 46%. Um, and you wonder, they also left with the whole thing about if, if Gary Payton guards him from game one of that series, is it different? I personally think no. I think Jordan would have figured it out. But remember his last three games? I remember calling you. We would talk after every one of these games in 96. And we were going nuts about Sean Kemp. Nuts. We were like, oh, my God, just Sean Kemp arrival. And then, like, when Peyton started guarding MJ, we just made fun of George Carl on every phone call we had. <laughs> like, what <laughs> was George Carl doing? 
that Seattle team was good. And they that, were. And and if there was an opportunity, they had the talent to, you know, surprise the Bulls. They they really they needed a game one go in there and steal it surprise. Um, and they did they they didn't have it in them um because of the 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 game plan. But like talent wise, that Seattle team was loaded and they were inside outside and they could give it to the bulls. They could give it to them. They could, they could definitely, uh, have made a mark. It just, they wasted it. You know, they had that. It's a, such a tiny sliver of an opportunity and they wasted it. So you go through the 96 bulls third, their third score is Ku coach center combination is Luke Longley and Bill Wennington in the game. We're about to do, they show graphic in the fourth quarter of game two, the Orlando game. And it's the center comparison. It's Shaq, 31 points, Luke Longley, zero. I thought that was <laughs> tough for Luke. Uh, Kerr, Kerr played crunch time. Kerr was basically a journeyman when they got him. He was on Cleveland. He was on Orlando, a couple other teams. It's a perfect fit for him. They had Ron Harper, who, uh, who the players jokingly called peg leg, could shoot threes, was playing on one leg. Ninth and 10th men were Judd Bushler and, uh, and Randy Brown. So, um, you know, I think, I think it's a great team. I think it's one of the five best teams ever. I'm not sure it was his best bulls team beginning to for, from an apex standpoint, from a beginning to end it was, but I would still take some version of that 91 playoff team combined with the 92 regular season team. With the Horace Grant athleticism, could do eighty percent what Rodman could do. Plus, you have B.J. Armstrong, you have Cartwright, who was a real center, who was a really good defender, and you have uh, Stacy King coming off the bench could bang some bodies. B.J. Armstrong was a good third guard off the bench. I just thought they had more weapons. I, I'm not going to argue with you. There, it doesn't um, uh, show disrespect to those Bulls to have them be included as a top five all time. Uh, historical team. The case for them really quickly, if you're going to make the case, they did start out the 96 season, 41 and three. It's pretty good. And it hit a point where every game they're playing was the biggest game of the season for the other team. That's a fact. And I remember I wrote about this in my book about this Celtic game I went to when the garden fans kind of just started cheering for the Bulls a little bit. It's on YouTube. And I watched some of it. Pippen and Jordan each have 37, but they're way down in the game. The Celtics are up by like 15, 18, and they do the thing they do in that Orlando game that I think if you're going to say like, what is the single most memorable, identifiable thing about this team? It was when they were down and Jordan and Pippen were like, let's just take the ball from them every time. It's, a, it's unbelievable. It's, there's never been anything like it ever. That's right. I mean, this is the part that, that we need to emphasize to folks. This is the real takeaway of our show today. That Bulls defense in 1996, Rodman, Pippen, and Jordan was goddamn incredible. They covered so much space, like from one side of the court all the way to the other side of the court, from, from the half-court line all the way to the baseline. Those three guys by themselves, the athleticism, the length, their IQ, the defensive IQ was insane. And they right. got so many easy baskets that way. They, and they could flip it. That was what well, that's the part of it is like they 
it's not like you could see them looking at each other, but they clearly like all agree. Okay, now let's go do it. And they go do it. It's unbelievable. And I think the 91 Bulls, you can feel it in that Lakers series. If you go and watch those games, could dial it up defensively in a really frightening way when they sure. wanted to yeah. because of the athletes that they had, they could do it. I think the difference with this 96 team and like, you know, when I'm on my deathbed thinking about the greatest basketball, which is probably what I'll be thinking about over my family and everything else, the greatest things I've ever seen on a basketball court. I'll just never forget seeing these guys in person and watching them do that. It, the only way I can describe it is when you watch Kawhi now, when Kawhi gets in that mode of like, I'm going to guard this guy full court. I think I'm going to take the ball from him. And he actually would. The difference is they had two Kawhis. I like this. I love and that Kawhi. We were put bringing Kawhi into this conversation. Because he, it, he, he, I, the Pippen really reminds me of Kawhi. If anything, I think you see it in that Orlando game. Pippen's actually kind of like, seems bigger. Uh -huh. like, it, like he was 6'8", but he, in these games, it seems like he's seven feet. He's around the rim explosive at like Kawhi was never around the rim. Like what's Pippa his was. wingspan. It's, it seems like it's, it's eight and a half feet. It could be nine feet for all for the, for as long as his arms are, how he plays lengthwise. I still, I've, I've been fortunate enough to see both of them in person. I was alive for both of their primes. I still think Pippen's the best perimeter guy I've ever seen. Wow. And I, and I actually think Rodman, I just as a defender is in probably like my top five or six ever. So this if you're going to make the case for the 96 Bulls, to me, this is the case. Yeah. Those three guys together defensively. Sure. That's it. I mean, I, I totally agree with you. And I'm glad that you mentioned Rodman again because the the he's 35 years old this season. It's right. Um, it's, uh, you could told me he's 23 and I was, oh, yeah, right. The young the young Rodman after the Pistons when he was a teenager that <laughs> he came. But, I mean, he's, the way he moves and, again, that, that – uh, the instinct, the basketball IQ, and that was one of my favorite aspects so far of the last dance is him talking about how he taught himself, how he learned that, you know, the, the intellect to, to understand that, like, this is going to be my role. This is my way to be successful at this sport, and I'm going to study this. And then he did it, and he had, you know, the, the best possible um, coaching situations from daily to um, uh, uh who 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 was the coach in 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 San Antonio? Was Pop there? No, he wasn't. There. It was Bob Hill. Oh, that yeah, didn't Bob go. Hill. That didn't go okay. that well. That doesn't count. The Bob Hill Bob Hill didn't go well anywhere. Uh, no, nobody named Hill really was a fan of. <laughs> we were not a fan of anyone named Hill. We're gonna kill Brian Hill later. But Chuck I, Daly and Phil Jackson, as as you know, the 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 um, that Rodman whisperer, pretty good. And though another reason that the '96 Bulls team is so fun. Rodman, it's the best version of him. It's the most reliable he is out of those three years. And he's just awesome in the Orlando game we're going to do. Like, he's really awesome. He's I awesome. Like, I can't believe he only made two all-star teams. I had him, I think, in my book, I had him like 69th or 70th, something like that. But uh, he, he only plays one side of the ball, you know? I mean... I know, but if you're looking for, like... Who do I need as my third best player? I have two awesome players who's a perfect third guy for me. He's got to be on that conversation. I agree with you. Because it's just, he doesn't care. He doesn't need the ball. He's going to do his two things. I mean, you you get all the craziness that comes with it. But um, the stuff he does in the Orlando game we're about to talk to, I think is one of the reasons um, 
he was so special. But, you know, I think about um, that, that Celtic game that I remember seeing and I wrote about, but then on YouTube and I watched some of it and it was exactly how I remembered it with the Pippin Jordan. Like it, it was like, it was honestly wild kingdom. It was watching two cheetahs size up the, the shitty deer in the pack being like, Oh, that's our guy. If you had a bad point guard against those guys, and this dates back to the early nineties too, because this is something that I had just forgotten from, this was a tactic they used that whole decade. Yeah. Their ability to swing the momentum of a game with the full court trap or the pressing defense, but using their two best guys, you would just never be able to get away with it now. You wouldn't even think about it, right? Now I asked, I talked to Steve Kerr today because we were planning the flying coach podcast. And, uh, and I asked him, I was like, the 96 Bulls team wasn't as good as the 91, 92 teams. Right. It's like, no, nah, no, nah, the league was the league was watered down. So he actually agreed with that. Um, but we were talking about the pressing stuff and I was like, why don't teams do that now? And he was like, cause now it'd be too risky. Cause if you get caught, somebody shoots a three. Back oh. then, nobody was thinking that way. So if you got caught, it was fine. They just either got a layup or it was a three-on-two. They're going to shoot a two. But See, if I, you did it in 2020, you're you're risking a three. It's too risky. That's a great point. I, I The thing that came to mind to me immediately is you they would foul out because you're not allowed to, to, to breathe on a guy now. True. You, you get in the neighborhood of James Harden, and it's a foul. So the, the stuff Pippen does in the Orlando game we're about to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> only, only Kawhi lives in this universe and maybe Jordan too. Maybe it's those three, but where just somebody being like, I'm just taking the ball. Yeah. I'm, I'm just taking it this play. Like nobody can do that. It's impossible. So I, I just remember those two guys together, um, was really special. And I think if you're going to make the case for 96 over those 91, 92 teams, the familiarity those two guys had by that point, was really special to watch in person. And yeah. I'm by the way, if you if you're going to come to me and be like 96 was better, here it's because those guys were so beautiful together and then Rodman was better than Grant. Those are my only reasons. I'm not against it. I'm yeah. just telling you I think that 91-92 team is just more explosive because of his offense. They it's always a had the ability. Argument. Someday we'll have the ability, somebody will come up with the uh definitive defense uh, defensive advanced metric and we'll be able to try and compare across eras, but the symbiosis Rodman as a defender and, the, and what kind of a complimentary role he played for the kind of defenders that MJ and Pippen were, that would be the, the, the argument. And you would say, that's yeah, it's a reasonable argument. You can't yell at it at somebody for, for making that case. All right. So this game we did. Bulls Magic Game 2, 96. The background is we covered on Sunday's podcast with Brasillo where uh, Jordan comes back from baseball, thinks he can steal the title, plays better than people remember, um, but still has blow, blows it in Game 1 and blows it in Game 6. And we just weren't used to watching Michael Jordan blow it before. I forgot until I listened to you guys uh, the 31-7-4. and four. Yeah. And then he had three games over at uh, 38 or more. Like vintage MJ stuff, but that the lingering memory is the mistakes. It's the it's the giveaways at the end of games. Yeah, you know, now that I we watch this '96 game, I think the difference because he's sloppy in this game too. Like he has a couple turnovers, and there's moments when he goes to the rim and gets blocked and things like that. It was stuff that didn't happen in the early '90s ever because he was so athletically superior to everybody. It's just a little wear and tear. 
there's an ease with how he carries himself in this game, especially on the defensive end, that I just feel like he wasn't comfortable enough in 95. With that said, I still think they lose because of that matchup. Yeah, I agree with you. So they swing it in this game, as we're about to go into. It's 53-38 at halftime. Shaq has 26 points. At halftime. Shaq is magnificent. I highly urge people to go on YouTube and watch this because it, there's a couple of interesting things that come out of it. One is you always hear about, well, they never went against the center. Best center they went against was Ewing, and then they went against Shaq the year and they lost. Shaq's better in the 96 series than he was in the 95 series, and he's torching them, and they solve it. They figure yeah. it out in the second half. They figure out how to solve it in the first half. Not only can they not solve it, he's drop-stepping them, he's jump-hooking them, he's spin-moving them, he's going up alley-oops, he's overpowering them. You watch this game and you're like, Shaq is the best part of all time. You have to remember, it does remind you how good his footwork was. Oh. He, he's a he's a goddamn ballet expert out there. It's beautiful to see. And, you know, it's, it's funny because we're so used to seeing Shaq on TV in this era. Skinny Shaq, unbelievable. Handsome guy. Skinny Shaq. Yeah, He's handsome. Still, still handsome, but you know, handsome, it's different. Oh, handsome athletic Shaq. But <laughs> they, it's funny watching that 95 game and then this game, I, I was getting mad at his teammates. Nobody could throw a fucking entry pass on his team. Yeah. And then Penny Hardaway, who I was all in on as, oh man, Penny Hardaway, you should have seen him. And I really loved watching him. And then you watch this game and you're like, God, he can't fucking dribble. He can't bring the ball up against the press. He doesn't know how to throw an entry pass. Like, he has no idea how to run a team. I was so mad at him during this game. It's like, Penny, take over. You're well, first-team All-NBA. It's just because it's MJ and Pippen with yeah. their with their mentality to, you know, game-winning. It's game-winning uh, time mentality. Well, and that's what one of the many things that made this team special is they, they solved the magic by they put Pippen on Penny. When he's not out there, they have Jordan on Penny. When he's not out there, they bring in Randy Brown, who was just an awesome defensive guard back then. Yeah, like a really great like pest. a Lindsay, a Lindsay Hunter type, just physical. annoying. Yeah, I love annoying that Lindsay Hunter guy. comparison. Absolutely. Yeah. So Penny's uncomfortable the whole game. And then they slowly figure out with Shaq, we'll put Rodman on him. We'll double team him. Rodman's gonna do just crazy Rodman shit. And he does. Just, Make him uncomfortable. And Shaq has 10 in the second half. It's not like they completely shut him down. Right. Rodman's kind of baiting him into feeling comfortable getting the entry pass. He's hopping around him, uh, just doing all these things. But basically, they solved these two guys who were two of the best eight players in the league. Magic score, I think they had 26 points in the second half until the game's over. And then they got a couple extra baskets. But it's, it's, it's beyond the shutdown. Right. That's they, right. They unplugged the Magic. The biggest bummer of this game and really the way this series, um, you know, is, is properly remembered is all the injuries that Orlando had because it was on, as we were sort of, you know, looking at this is going to be a, the, the, the great matchup. This is where MJ, we're going to see whether or not he can get revenge on the team that knocked him and the bulls out the year before. And then Horace Grant hyperextends his elbow in game one. So it was really like only the first half of game one where the two teams both sort of equally healthy. Uh, but the Bulls, Bulls beat them by what, 40 in game they one? They annihilated or them yeah. because Michael came in and said, 
you know, uh, I, we're going to make a point here. You know, this so was I'm, one of the trademark uh, aspects of the, of this Bulls team from this era also. I mean, they did the same thing to Portland. They feasted. They did this to the Knicks in the previous round. The Knicks had a really aging Derek Harper at that point as the point guard and Charlie Ward as the backup. And they just used the press and the trap and made it made the Knicks so uncomfortable. They ended up winning in five. It was something that they sh- probably should have done in 95. He should have played Ron Harper more. And I think Steve told me that uh, I think Phil realized that after the 95 season that he didn't use Harper correctly and that the move was actually... They let B.J. Armstrong go in the expansion draft. They decided to get just get bigger and do Harper, Pippen, and Jordan, and Rodman just all together and go length athleticism, and that unlocked the team. Um, but I think, I think uh, their ability to switch on D, which is very modern now, right? Every every team is looking for the team that oh you you got it and and oh now I'm going to guard him. You couldn't do that with B.J. Armstrong. You know, you can barely do the Kukoc. Yeah, right. And and it is um, that aspect of it that, to me, resonates the most with the 2017 Warriors. That interchangeability, the fungibility, and the, the guys are, are, you know, size guys and speed guys and athletic guys. It's Draymond. It's Clay, It's, uh, you know, KD played defense that year. Right. So, a couple other things from this game. We have to kill Brian Hill. <laughs> I, I mean, was so unimpressed by him. It, he, it, he, he loses Horace Grant and he's like, I'm going to start John Conkak. <laughs> I mean, the, who, the, who plays like 25 minutes. Danny Ainge and Vern Lundquist are the announcers. And Danny Ainge is like, Conkak seems hurt to me, Vern. <laughs> like see, he's really banged up. I give him a lot of credit for gutting it out. It's like, you don't have to do this. Just play Brian Shaw. He did Just get go hurt. Small. I mean, he was hurt. He he barely played in the second half, Concac. But your point is right. He ended up with 22 minutes, which is probably 19 and a half minutes more than, than necessary. Just You're play, right. play Brian, Brian Shaw, Anderson, Scott, Penny, and yeah. Shaq. This isn't yeah. hard. Play your best the other, guys. The other thing, when they really start, the Bulls come out in the third quarter, and they're just like, we're dialing this up. We're, we're taking the ball every time. MJ has 17 points in the third quarter. It seems like they force what eight steals in the third in a, quarter. In a, it feels like in a row too. Like every time they come just, up, they just pick it, taking the ball. Yeah, and they really need Brian Shaw to be out there. And then finally, he goes out there. But uh, there's this one third quarter stretch. Pippen, first of all, Rodman makes a bank shot, which is hilarious. They come down, they get a stop. Pippen fast break pseudo fast break goes in, but then kicks back out to MJ for a three. Yeah. Makes it cuts it to like nine crowd goes nuts. Magic inbound the ball. Pippen does a diving steal. Like he's a defensive back catching an interception steals it and calls timeout. And the fans are like losing their minds. I highly encourage people to watch this. It's just like, it's this. <laughs> and I'll put it on uh, the book of basketball, Twitter account. It's this one minute sequence where you're just like, oh my God, what just right. happened? Yeah. But they only credited Pippen for three steals in this game. It seemed like he had like eight. Well, do they capture touches back then? Isn't that a I don't know. Now? Touches or whatever. Oh, if He's you had just... if you had touches in ninety six, he would have he would have had twice as many as anyone else I, in the league. I mean, right? that's true. And then yeah. they're doing the double thing on on Shaq and they just swing the game. MJ is seventeen to third. They're going to twenty four to four run. 
Fourth quarter, now Shaw's playing, so Orlando settles down. It's 81-79 with, I don't know, three and a half minutes left. And the Magic don't score again until the game's over. Bulls are like, steal. Uh, 24-second violation. Uh, another steal. Like, it, it's just, they just put the clamps down. And this is a team that had Shaq and Penny, who were two of the best 10 players in the league. They can't get a shot. They can't throw an entry pass. It's worth noting how shitty Dennis Scott and Nick Anderson were. I mean, those are, those are the guys that, that could make a difference, right? And they, they were making shots in the first half of this game, and, and that's what kind of staked uh, Orlando out. It made you feel like, oh, this one, okay, this is this, the way the series is supposed to be. Uh, and that um, perimeter pressure is what should have taken the pressure off of Shaq, like the ability to double-team Shaq you have to make the Bulls pay for that by Nick Anderson knocking down an open three or Dennis Scott knocking down an open three, and they they couldn't do it. They sucked. It's funny because I think our memory of those guys is that they were really good in the moment. It's kind of like we didn't know any better. Like Dennis Scott, he averaged, uh, I mean, he had a good year. He was almost 18 a game. He led the that NBA year. in threes made. He t- took seven and a half threes a game, made 42%. They, it was still the gimmick three-point line, though, so it's hard. You got to take it with a little grain of salt. Anderson uh, was 15 a game, 39%. But in games like this, for whatever reason, the athleticism of uh, Jordan Pippen just seemed, like, starkly different. You know? It just was like, oh, shit. They can't. Like, neither of them could handle the ball. But that's, that's not an explanation for not being able to make open shots. And True. You know, I think you're right about this reputation thing. I do think that both of those guys were good. Maybe I, I you know, we misremember, we're misremembering it. Well, Nick Anderson in the playoffs, 28% from three, 43% shooting. And, and then if you remember, you know, he lost his confidence. Yes. Never from the finals. That's now, right. He, he started missing free throws and right. kind of fell apart on that front, but they got really exposed the next year because Shaq leaves. They go 45 and 37. Um, and Nick Anderson at that point, you'd be like, oh man, Nick Anderson probably cooked that year without Shaq, right? His stats go backwards. He scores 12 points a game. Dennis Scott's at 12 and a half points a game. They're still making threes, but I think they were probably more limited than we realized because it was so fun to have guys like him. Chuck Person was another one. We thought Chuck Person was like amazing. <laughs> Remember? It was like, oh my yeah. God. He, he made, made five some, threes in a game. He made some deep threes. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, so... I look at that Orlando team now and, you know, if he makes those free throws, do they beat Houston? It's like, it's a, it's a little bit of a, what if I, I don't really know how to feel about that. Cause they almost won game three, right? Hakeem was the best part in the series, but Shaq was putting up numbers in that series, at least. No, it, and then it, 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 it's an it's incredible whole what, what if, if era. Yeah. I, I was I, really I, unimpressed by Hardaway compared to what his stats were in this game though. I really think that they were um, really affected by Horace Grant not being out there. Like he, like he was like their their glue guy, leader guy. Yes, yeah. yes, especially against the Bulls, right? Like if, for the 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 single contribution that he can make in that context, in that instance, is to help galvanize them. And you know, coming out and having a stinker in Game One um, in Chicago after Chicago's ripped off seventy-two and ten win thing like you know a coronation kind of moment oh it's the playoffs we're gonna go out and kick ass in the playoffs like you you can chalk that one up 
But then game two is 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 the competitive game, and not having Horace Grant for the competitive game, it just it was obviously fatal. Um, but I think it translated like more into those role players. Like those guys just were clueless, and Penny was lost. He was he that second half he was lost. It's he certainly on paper was about as talented of a guy as you would have wanted at that position. And, you know, like if he had been MJ's sidekick for the first six years of his career, I'm sure he would have had a Pippen like correct. He did get hurt, which is unfair. Um, unfair to like, when you talk about him, you have to mention here at his name. Yeah. And he just wasn't the same after that. But I, I felt like in the Houston finals, and in this series, they kind of needed him to make a leap that it, for whatever reason, he wasn't totally, uh, totally ready to make. So, so with this 96 Bulls team, and I, I think they're the third best team ever. Okay. I still have the 86 Celts ahead of them. And I, I honestly have the 2017 Warriors ahead of everybody. I think that's the best basketball team I've ever seen. Um, the, the, the thing those three teams had in common, and I think the 89 Pistons had this. I had them ranked fourth in my book. I think the 87 Lakers had this too. When they absolutely had to win a game, they were winning the game. Yeah. And you could catch them, like with the Bulls, they go up 3 nothing against Seattle. Kind of lose focus a little bit. They lose game four. They, some game, all of a sudden, it's a game six. You and I never thought they were losing game six. It was more like, wow, they kind of fucked this up. They, they, but they're not losing this game. Same thing for... Uh, game six after uh, in Phoenix when they blow game five, MJ packs the one suit. They tell that story over and over again during Jordan's career when he really needed to get one. He usually got it, but this 96 team was definitely like that. 86 team, same thing. They lose after in Houston game five, the Samson fight. They're winning game six. I went into the garden that day. I'm like, there's no way we're losing. There's a 0% chance. Uh, the Warriors team was another one. They lose that game four to Cleveland in Cleveland game, game five. It's like, there's no way they're losing. They're this team's fucking awesome. They're not losing two games in a row. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think the, the rare teams made me feel that way. The it's weird, but the Miami team in the playoffs, they never had a stretch like this where you were like, Oh my God, that team, when they really want it, they're winning. It just, really wasn't the case. Like the OKC series in 2012, those first four games were all really close. Yeah. Uh, 2013, they probably should have lost. And then Ray Allen hits a shot. I thought the streak was their greatest moment. And I still think it's one of the 10 greatest NBA moments to, to win 27 in a really competitive season. And, and the team that finally beat them was this Bulls team that was really good. That was home and, through every punch they had at them and still barely won. You know, I, 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 to me, that was when they peaked. It, it didn't really totally happen in the playoffs, but I, um, I think that's going to end up being the signature, um, high watermark for that, for that, um, heat team, right? Like yeah. the titles that they won were impressive, uh, enough, but the real achievement of that team was that streak that, and I think the fight that they showed at the end of game six, when they could have rolled over and they didn't. Yes. And in 2013. You know, yeah. To, in game six to just, they got the two biggest rebounds of the game to keep their seasons alive. And then game seven, LeBron was amazing. Yeah. He it's in the running for greatest game he ever played. 
And uh, and the Spurs were still coming at them. And I, I think people are now realizing that those Spurs teams are really great. I think you can make a case for the excellence that the 2014 Spurs reached in that finals. Might have been a higher level than any Heat team got to. You oh, remember wow. that? Remember, remember watching that? They fucking looked like the 77 Blazers shooting threes. It was incredible. Well, it was it was um the the most impressive comeback validation of like you know a championship identity because they had thirteen they they regarded that as having been stolen from them and they're like there's just no way we're gonna let that happen again that was that's the true mark of of a prideful you know that Tony Parker uh, Manu Timmy Duncan little Boris. Yeah, <laughs> a little little Boris. Why not? Our guy Boris was, yeah. was doing some stuff. Yeah, making espressos and and moving moving the ball from the high post. So it's a fun argument, and uh, I would highly encourage people to go watch. There's some some miracle worker on YouTube. I couldn't believe this has every single Bulls regular season game on a YouTube playlist. Oh wow! All in a row, all of that's how I found that Celtic game. I was watching. Todd Day and Dana Barros and uh, little Rick Fox. I'm going to go uh, back and, and watch them put the clamps on uh, Cal Chaney in, in, at the Capitol Center out in Landover. I was at well, that game. We're going to get to do it on Rosillo's pod on, on uh, Thursday. <laughs> Your guys, see Webb and Juwan. Yeah, those Your were my soulmates. guys. They were my guys. House, thanks for, uh, thanks for batting around the 96 Bulls with me. I had fun. I loved it. I, I We could do it for another hour and I wouldn't get bored. Everybody else would, but I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, that's it for the BS pod. Thanks to uh, ZipRecruiter. Don't forget about the rewatchables with uh, Groundhog Day with B. Sean Fantasy and a special guest. Don't forget me and Rosillo and House on Rosillo's pod on Thursday. Game two, Bullets. Not Wizards. Bullets. Bulls, which is on YouTube if you want to find it. And then we're coming back here with one more podcast later this week. See you then.